listening to Chill Time with Will Moore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you all doing today? I'm your host, William Moore, and this is Chill Time is Well Time. And I'd like to thank you guys for joining me again. I know it's been maybe like a little bit over a week since I dropped the last episode, so I thought I might need to uh, definitely give you guys a little something else to listen to again. Um, it's been a crazy, busy past week and a half, even two weeks here. So um, I definitely haven't been able to record uh, as soon as I would like to, but um, definitely made time to do so today. Um, once again, I'd like to appreciate everybody that listens, everybody that has listened, offered feedback, um, told their friends and family about the podcast, um, people who have sent in questions, requests, critiques. Um, that has been amazing and definitely productive for me to uh, help me decide, not only just not really decide, but help me develop better um, as a podcaster and uh, bring some new things and learn some new skills to make the show better for you all. So with that said, you know, like I said, I really appreciate that. Um, as I like to do so often, especially on solo episodes, I like to start uh, the episode off with a, uh, graduate decisions. You know, y'all who have uh, been loyal listeners know what graduate decisions are. Those who are new to the podcast know that that is definitely a, a, a facetious name. It is, sarc- it is sarcasm to its finest. Graduate decisions is... Um, a segment of the episode where I like to highlight the utter stu- stupidity or horrible decisions um, that some people that either know personally, sometimes even you know I myself I've put myself out on there before too, uh, or some public uh, public figures have uh, have displayed uh, you know uh, to us, um, and just this past week or I guess last week, you know one of the biggest graduate or the 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 graduate the graduate decision that I actually want to point out um actually happens to go to Megan Kelly and NBC uh uh for any of you who have been really following any current events you all know that uh last week NBC uh host Megan Kelly formerly of Fox News um who had been brought in by NBC from Fox News to replace both Al Roker and Tamron Hall um, two both very distinguished, well-liked, prominent uh, black anchors for um, uh, the uh, the network. Um, it was met with some with some outrage. Um, not as much as I would have thought that there should have been, but it was it was met with some pushback. But nevertheless, NBC thought it would be a great decision uh, to bring in Megyn Kelly to replace the two of us. Now, Megyn Kelly is known for making some very, very um, controversial um, and flat out, to be honest with you, some very racist type comments and displaying some very racist type opinions on Fox News. So the fact that NBC was willing to go out on a limb and bring her in to replace uh, Al Roker and Tamron Hall financially didn't make sense. And it didn't make sense... uh, from a you know on a business decision just because it just seems like why would you want to um, replace two highly respected um, employees who are out there known for any type of negative press or um, controversial behaviors and replace them with somebody uh, who exhibits all those 
if in fact what you're trying to do is uh, gain more followers of that mindset or gain more viewers of that mindset. Either way it goes, that was a choice that they uh, decided to make. Um, and like they say, um, you know, the leper can't change his spots. Megan Kelly proved to everybody why it was a bad idea to bring her on. So last week, Megan Kelly was on uh, on our show and had a panel talking about Halloween costumes, why Halloween is becoming too politically correct, and the topic of blackface. Anybody who happened to watch clips of the episode or watch the episode live knows that the first thing was wrong, which, and I don't know why, 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 um, anybody who is not a person, any, anyone who is not a person of color thinks it's a great idea to talk about issues involving people of color without having a person of color on the panel. Um, it doesn't make sense. It's counterproductive. And you're not getting any real point of views. But nevertheless, she had this panel of individuals, none of them a person of color, talking about blackface. Now, um, I will go out and say that a couple of individuals on the panel talked about how they thought blackface was wrong and they pushed back with Megyn Kelly a little bit uh, about her thinking that there was nothing wrong with it and questioning why she thought that it was okay. Um, Megyn Kelly really, really, really tried to push it. Really tried to sell why blackface was uh, not a big deal, why it wasn't offensive, and that you know, people, the you know, the PC police were pushing too hard to 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 criticize anybody who dressed in blackface for a Halloween costume. Now, she even went as far as to say that when she was a child, the blackface during Halloween was okay. Now. Megyn Kelly is in her 40s. Her childhood would be roughly a little over 30 years ago. Blackface was never okay then. It's not okay now. And even if it was okay then, which I'm quite sure that it wasn't, it would have only been okay in a neighborhood that was just racist. Um, and anybody in their right mind would say that. And I believe some of her panelists really tried to. And, and, and not the same uh, candor or maybe... Um, didn't articulate it exactly how I did, but they really tried to uh, kept convey very much the same message to her. Um, now, Megyn Kelly is not a dumb lady. She's actually a very bright woman, a bright, bright woman. So that's all the more reason why it was like offensive uh, and even ridiculous um, when it came to her apology. Her subsequent apology was worthless because what because the apology came across as if she did not understand the gravity or the seriousness of the statements that she was making on television at the time. Um, and that she was totally clueless to how offensive blackface was. Um, she's a bright woman. She knew damn well uh, how offensive blackface is, but she, you know, racist folks can't hide their, can't cover up their racism for long. Like it's got to come out. It's in, in some way, shape, form or fashion. She could not help herself. Um, and, and, and it came out just that way. Um, so for thinking that you can, uh, run the okie doke on the rest of America and say racist stuff on, you know, a national channel that's not Fox news, 
a syndicated you know channel that's not Fox News and think that you can get away with that type of racist behavior and talk with no backlash. Megan Kelly, you get a graduate decision trophy. But she isn't alone on this. Because I'm also giving a graduate decision trophy to NBC. Um, and for some of the very reasons that I outlined at the beginning uh, of the episode. And that is... Um, NBC can't be excused because they knew Megyn Kelly's track record. It was plain to see. It wasn't hidden. There wasn't like some investigation needed to be had to find out, to see what her character was about. Everybody knew who she was. Which is why, like I said, it was kind of like a little bit of a pushback when she was brought on anyway. So, and on, and, and, and a result of that, a little bit of that backlash is, at not one point during her tenure with NBC, did her ratings ever come close or pass up that of Tamron Hall, Al Roker. So the public knew what was up. So they and they paid this woman tens of millions of dollars to come on, basically show her behind, and 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 do the same thing she did on Fox News, you know, where anything goes, uh, sexism, racism is is the culture over there. It's cultivated there, and nobody checks anything. Um. And granted, all media has some sort of bias, which needs to be highlighted. Um, nobody gets away with it like they do on Fox News. But she came over and behaved exactly the way she did on Fox News. And for some reason, NBC News thought that that, that wasn't going to be the case. So they basically paid this woman tens of millions of dollars to lose ratings. And now we'll have to pay her about $64 million if they wish to fire her. NBC effectively and intentionally paid Megyn Kelly to cost them ratings uh, uh, and millions of dollars. I would have taken $64 million just to sit there and not cost them anything in the negative and bring no controversy to the table. But they paid somebody $64 million to bring them, to bring them controversy and, and not last any more than, what, a year on the job. Pure stupidity. You know what I mean? Awesome job, NBC. Um, when it comes to more of a positive note, this has nothing to do with graduate decisions. I kind of want to highlight a coworker of mine. I'm not going to say his name, but he is, uh, he's not black. Um, but something that he noticed about some of the, uh, the hate crimes that happened this past weekend. Um, if you're been living under a rock and not aware of that, there was a synagogue shooting, uh, in Pittsburgh, where 11 people were murdered, there was shooting of two black folks by uh, by um, uh, a white supremacist in Kentucky, and then there were pipe bombs sent to uh, Democratic uh, politicians or foes of uh, Donald Trump or the you know or the conservative party. Um, by another gentleman in uh, from Florida this past this past week. So all three of these hate crimes. My coworker came up to me and wanted to have a, a real candid conversation. He sat down and he asked me, he goes, Well, I'm having a hard time understanding why no attention is everybody's talking about pray for Pittsburgh and pray for the synagogue shootings. Um you know, talking about the uh, the mail, you know, the mail bomb, the pipe bombs that were sent out through the mail. He goes, but nobody's talking about the two African American people that were killed at the hands of white supremacists in Kentucky. I looked at him, and it was like, uh, it was a little, 
it was a little piece of satisfaction and a and a and a, a nice little uh, token of light to see amongst all that's going on. Because for once, somebody that wasn't a person of color was able to highlight the bias of the media and how they treat victims uh, based on religion and color in this country. You know, it's a firm example of why we have uh, groups like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives, Black Lives Matter has never said that no other life matters. But what they're saying is this country pretends that like black lives don't matter as much as any other life. And that we, they need to bring that to the forefront. And the way the media covers these these hate crimes and these travesties uh, and the, what my coworker brought up brilliantly highlights that. You know, um, it's, it was pointed out that, you know, several... Uh, Mosques raised over $70,000 to give to synagogues. Um, and for those who are affected, you know, their they're Jewish compatriots that were fa- affected by the uh, mass shooting. And I would like to, hi- uh, you know, highlight why, A, not very many people are talking about that, and B, when the same type of travesties are happening to uh, Muslim brothers and sisters and in mosques, the same type of treatment. These these other religious groups haven't bound together to help out these mosques the way these mosques have been helping out these other religious groups. I happen to think that it's because um, when you want to look at it on the you know if, when you want to look at it that Christianity and Judaism is seen as predominantly uh, white religions. Um, granted, I know that. Uh, a lot of Jewish people aren't necessarily Caucasian, but they look that way. If you go just by skin tone, you look at Israel. Most people over in Israel look like white people here in America. Most most white people in America associate themselves with being Christians or Christianity. When you think about Islam, it's considered the religion of black and brown people. And so, therefore, the same type of compassion isn't given to Muslims and people of uh, 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 black and brown people who worship that way. That same type of consideration and compassion isn't given to them the way it's given to Jewish or Christian Christian worshipers. I like to highlight that that is um, it's ridiculous. And it is an example of the bias that the media plays. And for like I said, for once, it was great to see a co-worker, somebody who's not specifically black, be able to come and sit down and ask me about that. It was something that was glaring to him, and he was telling me that it wore on him so much that he wanted to come talk to me about it to see if, in fact, what he was seeing and feeling was correct, or if he was seeing nothing at all. Um, and I confirmed to him that what he was seeing and feeling was correct, and that that is an example of what many African Americans see, feel, and internalize on an everyday basis here in America. Um, so as I was saying, that was something that I definitely wanted to highlight and was, uh, a positive for me out of my work day, uh, today. Um, as I kind of move forth in this episode, one of the things I want to talk about is the, uh, this past weekend, this past weekend, um, you know, uh, for those of you who, you know, know me or listen to this podcast, you, uh, you know, you know, one of the general things about me is not only do I work in public health, not only am I a doula and lactation consultant, and not only do, you know, am I a podcaster, um, but I'm also a semi-pro football player. 
And this weekend, I was privileged to play in the uh, semi-pro all-star football game. I was selected by a group of my peers, um, coaches, and other team owners uh, as being uh, one of the outstanding players in the league this year. And so I was asked to uh, compete and play in the game. And I got to tell you guys, it was an amazing experience. It's one of the funnest times I've had playing a football game um, ever and definitely the funnest time I've had this year. Um, I was in the game representing the Northern Elite League, and we were went against the RIFL uh, All-Stars. Um, as I said, it was a very gratifying experience. It was great to be lining up and playing with a lot of other great athletes, many of whom I lined up against this past season and competed against. Um, and it was just, I kept telling, you know, uh, two of my other teammates from my regular team were also selected to be a part of the game. And I kept telling them, like, dude, I almost forgot what it feels like to play, you know, play with some other really great athletes, some people who really know the game and uh, can hold their own on the field. Um, because, you know, one of the things that you haven't noticed, I haven't talked much about our season this past year because it was a very humbling and trying season. Um I um, played for an expansion team this year, um, new Ricky owner, Ricky head coaches, and there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, and I'll kind of outline to you a little bit later, like how that had an effect on the team. But it was just a totally different experience playing with this all-star team. This all-star team. Um, we won. It was a very hard fought game. We won the game 18 to 14. Um, it was a closer game than it should have been. We turned the ball over four times, um, which we were better than that. And uh, it was a, it was a, it got heated a couple times. You know, the other team that we played against, you know, talked a lot of trash leading up to the, you know, to the game uh, weeks prior to the game. Um, you know, guys were kind of delivering messages back and forth on social media. You guys know me; I don't have a Facebook or anything like that, so I don't get engaged in that type of thing. But you know, I still hear what's going on. So, needless to say, there was a lot of uh, built-up energy and aggressiveness. A, because, you know, our regular season ended several months ago. And B, the the, the, the competitive nature of everybody involved um, before we got to the site of our game, which was in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, it was... Uh, I guess the thing that one of the things that stuck out to me the most was how poised and how hard everybody worked together, coming from different teams, and how fast we all bonded and gelled together as a team. Um, there's no doubt to me that a lot of that came down to individual professionalism, but also the professionalism of the coaching staff and those who helped kind of put together the All Star All Star game. Now everything wasn't perfect, but it was a huge difference from that of the regular team that I play for. Um, and I just wanted to kind of highlight that because I wanted to make a relation. It kind of reminded me, and I wanted to make an uh, analogy or show the relationship between that experience in, the, in a sports uh, setting and how it applies to real-life situations, how it apply, applies to regular jobs and uh, uh, and work. Um this, you know, that experience, sports in general, does in fact have real world implications. Um, and I'll kind of dive into that uh, now. 
Um, a pri- it, it was a prime example and a lesson in how attitude reflects leadership. Um, when I played with the expansion team this past year, um, there was a lot of immaturity and dysfunction on the team. All right, we had, I was asked to come over by one of my really good friends, one of the guys who was also uh, voted on the all-star, all-star team. Um, and they kind of, the owner had kind of sold him on the idea of being part of something new and different and building, helping them try to build up a new team or franchise and really develop and be leaders for a lot of the young guys who were coming to be a part of the team. Um, and just to build something great, build something special. Now, I had opportunities to go to and sign on with several other uh, powerhouse teams in the league, but I'm a competitor and I felt that would be too easy because the two other teams that I really had opportunity to sign with were dominant teams and they were stacked. You know, it's easy to be a part of a team of, you know, superstars and go against other teams that are, you know, full of like average guys that may have one or two superstars and run rush out of everybody. But if you're a real competitor like I am and like so many other people who are listening to this and so many other people out in the world are, you like a challenge. You know that it's much more gratifying and the feeling is much more great when you have, in fact, um, kind of climbed that climbed a mountain versus a molehill. You know the feeling of uh, triumph and achievement. So I decided to take upon that, uh, you know, take on that challenge and sign with the expansion team. Well, there was dysfunction from the beginning from there were during the season, there were uh, seven different coaching changes, not all the head coach, but like, you know, some assistant coaches leaving, taking on new roles, head coaches leaving, coming back for a week, leaving again, switching roles, um, not knowing a system, not building a culture infighting between coaches and ownership and the the and, and and how that manifested itself into the team is we had a lot of young guys on the team who um surprisingly enough actually had never really played football before which I'm shocked that that even worked um cuz I was you know led to believe that it'd be different and I ever remember even having a conversation with the owner um at one point asking about the makeup of the team and at one point, you know, things were going so rough towards the middle of the year. I had to go to him and I said, you know, before next year, you are not, you need to really think about the uh, how the team is made up and how the team is built. I said, you signed and recruited a lot of guys who liked football or wanted to play football, but you didn't sign or recruit football players. It's a big difference. You didn't recruit guys or sign guys who actually know the game and have the work ethic to be a part of the game. Um, didn't have the maturity to play the game, work hard, prepare the right way. Uh, brought in a lot of people who cannot handle adversity um, and need strong leadership from the top. And even though there were some team captains on the team, you know, I being one of them, there's only so much that we can do when, you know, Playbooks and schemes are being changed several times during the season when ownership and coaches are, you know, fighting in front of players, when coaches are physically getting into altercations with players in the middle of games. There's nothing that a a, a team captain can do to erase that type of negative energy and atmosphere from a young person's mind who is easily impressionable and not been a part of a winning program, you know. 
of some of the guys have played before in college or maybe in high school. Or they were on teams they didn't necessarily play. And they weren't a part of programs. Because the difference between a program and being a part of a team is a program has a legacy, has a culture that is established, and a way to do things. A, t- a team is just a team. It's a group of individuals who have come together who are supposed to be working towards to you know it's working towards and achieving one goal but it does it doesn't always happen that way if the culture is not conducive to that and none of them know what that culture is supposed to look like or feel like all right so you can imagine with some of the turmoil and stuff that we that we like outline with some of the coaching changes the fighting the stuff like that what type of season we had as a season even though i you know did great individually um, I am a team player, and I gauge my success on the team success. And as a team in general, we won, you know, one game this season. It's the worst season I've ever had as a football player, whether it be high school, college, or a professional, semi-professional. Um, and I just did not know. I, You know, I was wringing my hands trying to figure out, like, God, you know, where am I? Where am I faltering, or what am I not doing right? You know, I'm working hard. I'm leading by example. I'm there for practice all the time. I am in in a lot of ways. I was actually, I was actually one. When there are times when some coaches weren't there, I was actually coaching some of the other positions, telling them what they should and shouldn't do, um, going over you know game plans and schemes with the head coach. That shouldn't be my responsibility as a player. I should be going over that with my position group. But I shouldn't be the one to have to do that. I don't get paid for that. Um, but that type of atmosphere, when you have that type of dysfunctional atmosphere and bad leadership, uh, you get a negative or bad product when it comes time to produce on the field. It's very much the same way uh, in real life. When you look at the best run companies, uh, the best run businesses, Um, the most successful groups, franchises, uh, other teams, there's a great sense, there's there's great leadership at the top. Under that great leadership at the top, there's great leadership that comes at the next level, which could be as a captain, a manager, um, uh, you know, CEOs, what, you know, whatever it may be. And that great leadership and structure and energy bleeds down into the workforce or the employees. Everybody has a sense of purpose. Everybody is on the same page as far as what the goal is. And when people are faltering, people need guidance. There is leadership there or there's a structure or culture in place that when people are faltering, they can look to that culture. They can look to that structure to regain their bearings, regain their purpose and get back on track. They have some sort of some sort of blueprint in front of them to help them uh, be successful, even when they don't know how to be successful themselves. When you lack that professionally, you know, in the workforce, in the workplace or in sports, you see unsuccessful situations. Um, the best companies to work for when you see these polls or these articles in different business magazines that talk about the, the, the best places to work for, they usually have the great, great, you know, uh, amazing success um, when it comes to the revenue they generate or the products that they put out 
or how much they are appreciated or loved by consumers. It's not a mistake that you see happy employees in those situations. You see focused employees. You see employees that know exactly what their job and agenda is, and they know different ways to get that way. You see employees or groups or divisions or departments that have a sense of family and purpose and know how to lean on each other and are a cohesive group and in a lot of ways can insulate themselves from any type of trouble or any type of turmoil that may go on with the company at large because the precedent has already already been set at the beginning and up top um, that this is how things go and this is how business should be conducted in the good times and in the bad times. Um, that's something that we severely lacked uh, for my regular team during this football season. But that's something that was already apparent and amazing to be around and feel um, at this All-Star game. That is something that I, I just couldn't get enough of. I you know just kept like repeating to people, it was the funnest I've had playing football in quite a long time. You know, the competitive nature of it, the the sense of achievement, the honor of being selected for the game, um, and the fact, the camaraderie. You know, all of us had are from different teams, coming from playing from different schemes, playing on different, uh, you know, you know, coaches for different owners, but we all had one singular focus, a singular goal to represent the league the best way we could. And to win that game. And we did that. Once again, attitude reflects leadership. And our leadership, our coaches and captains for that game, um, led the way with that. And so, I guess the one thing that I take away from it, that I you know, I already knew, I already had an idea of, but the one thing that anybody who's listening to this what I want you to take away from this and think about is that anytime you, you know, whether it be uh, athletically or in a business uh, setting, anytime you find yourself in a leadership position, you want to be successful, make sure you are the best leader that you can possibly be. And being the best leader that you can possibly be doesn't mean that you're, you know, super demanding or demeaning. It means that you are great at being an example of what the overall goal is, conveying the message of what the overall goal and purpose of the task is to the rest of your team and and making sure that they are comfortable enough to execute these goals and tasks together and individually. And that they have the confidence that if they are unable to, to execute it individually, that they can come to you as a leader to put them back on track or that they can refer to their peers and the overall culture and structure of the organization that you put together or that you're trying to build to lead them in the right direction. That is is leadership. That is what a great, great, great culture is about. That is what productive culture is about. And that is why I love sports. That's why I love team sports. I think team sports in general is a great example, a model for life. How to work with others to achieve a goal how to achieve personal goals, how to persevere, how to strive and keep going, and how to learn from your mistakes and pick out different lessons from mistakes and your different trials and tribulations. 
So that is my little rant and ramble on my experience with this All-Star game. Like I said, it was an amazing experience. Um, when I, you know, get a chance, I'll take pictures of the, you know, the plaque and jersey and stuff that I received from the game and uh, try to post those up on uh, the podcast's uh, Instagram account so you guys can see. And uh, it'd be awesome for you guys to leave me any uh, comments or questions about that. Um, Because as you can see, I definitely love the experience and I'm definitely willing to talk more about it. Um, Not honestly, just for selfish reasons, (laughs) not that you're necessarily going to learn anything more from it, but just because it was just an amazing experience for me. Um, Kind of rounding off uh, the end of my uh, time here. What I want to talk about is some some pretty awesome documentaries that I've been watching lately uh, on Netflix. Um, they're actually music doc- documentaries uh, on hip hop specifically, and those two documentaries are called Rapture and Hip Hop Evolution. Um, so a lot of you may have heard of Hip Hop Evolution, because if I'm not mistaken, that is a series of documentaries. Uh, there's a season one and a season two that, if I'm not mistaken, has been on like. VH1 or MTV or something. I don't. I don't know. I just remember seeing it on TV one day and kind of watching an episode, um, and not being able to catch it any other time. But then running past it here on Netflix and watching it. And man, if you're really looking for something to to, to watch that is informative yet entertaining, Hip Hop Evolution traces a long and storied history of hip hop and its effect on culture from its beginnings in New York. Deriving from like, you know, some bits of disco and R&B to giving birth to breakdancing, um, which, I mean, I don't know if many people know this, but breakdancing gets its name and gets uh, came from the innovation on the turntables from DJs like Grandmaster Flash, who were, you know what I'm saying, like modifying the sound and creating music on the breaks in the records. That's where breakdancing comes from. Um, and it talks about other legends like Cool Herc, Marley Marl, um, all the way to how hip hop moved into the West Coast um, with heavy funk influences from like Parliament, Funkadelics, uh, how it gave birth to the NWA, Ice T, and then back down south where, you know, uh, pioneers in a hip from hip hop down south uh, like Bumby and Pimp C from Port Arthur, Texas. You know, who who uh, formed the fame group UGK that everybody may know about. Or a super group out of Houston, like the Ghetto Boys. You know what I mean? Everybody knows that classic song, Mine's Playing Tricks on Me. Um, and a lot of people don't know that that wasn't the group. The group as it was now wasn't how the group started off. You know, Jay, Jay Prince, uh, when he originally started Ghetto Boys, it were, he, he flirted with many different combinations of uh of artists before he came up with the final group of Scarface, Bushwick Bill, and Willie D, who I found out actually used to be uh an amazing boxer before he turned to hip hop, you know, and he was uh, he was on uh, the documentary on the episode talking about how, you know, he was just looking for ways to make money, and even though he was great at boxing, you know, he was looking for ways to make money, and he was looking at, uh, for, for 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 things that the women liked. He knew that the women liked boxing and they liked money, but 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 uh, 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 the money from hip hop 
didn't give him a headache like boxing did. So needless to say, he, he, he you know what I'm saying, like, he jumped into hip-hop, blew up individually, joined Ghetto Boys, and how, it even talked about how the three different guys had their own little, uh, had their own little, had their own little flavor, you know what I mean? Like, Butchwick Bill, if I can make a comparison for him, he was a little bit like the Flavor Flavor, the group, the real, you know, horrorcore, he was, well, not like Flavor Flavor, but he was a horrorcore lyricist in a way. Um, Willie D was the more of the country of the two, and Scarface was the more lyrically technical of the group. Um, it was just an amazing uh, documentary. I'm, I'm not finished watching. I think I got two or three more episodes to watch uh, in season two, but I'm definitely enjoying it, and I hope that you guys too. So I definitely wanted to bring that up and mention that to you guys. Um, the other uh, documentary that I've been watching, and uh, I've gotten a lot uh, or series of many documentaries that I've been watching. And gotten a lot of enjoyment on it is Rapture, um, and that's also on Netflix. Um, and Rapture is a, a, little, a small series of documentaries of each about an hour long, maybe a little bit over an hour. That highlights one artist um, that's out, uh, or uh, the artist individually. You know, they you know there's uh, episodes on like Nas, Dave East, uh, DJs like Just Blaze. Uh, my favorite was Rhapsody. Um, a boogie with a hoodie, um, and me being you guys know me being a huge Rhapsody fan, um, I you know I've said time and time again how I feel like she is vastly underrated. More people are starting to catch word about her and who she is and hear her music and know about her skill level, but she is hands down to me one of the top three lyricists out now, man or woman, it does not matter. She's one of the top three lyricists out right now. And uh, Rapture does a great job of kind of telling her story, like a little bit of her origin, you know, where she comes from, out of a small town in North Carolina, you know, where she picked up hip hop, you know, rapping with a group of fellas at NC State um, in college. And then how she was kind of introduced to Ninth Wonder and how, you know, it wasn't an instant success. You know, she kind of, Ninth kind of had her on ice, just kind of working on her craft for a couple of years, you know, in a studio before, you know, they really, you know, cut some, 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 some hardcore material and cut some albums. And she even did a lot of, uh, you know, singles or, um, uh, mixtape type material before dropping her, you know, her solo album, you know, her first solo project. And I gotta say, man, like, like I said, she's amazing. I have all her projects. If you don't know who Rhapsody is now, you need to get up. You need to, you need to, you know, crawl, crawl from under that rock and figure out who she is. As I said, she's simply amazing. And uh, if you want to learn about some of the, you know, so the background of history of some of these other artists, you know, Rapture's been pretty good. Like I learned a lot about Just Blaze. I didn't, you know, I, he's a very technical guy that I didn't really know. I just kind of knew him as the guy who would say his name. You know, from time to time on a record that he was producing, you know, much like DJ Khaled does now, you know, Just Blaze is one of the first guys that I remember. Not saying he was the first one, but he's one of the first guys that I remember or producers that I remember that would do that sort of thing. Um, and how he is very, he's a very like uh, clever scientific like type cat. Not that far removed uh, from Grandmaster Flash, who is. I mean, Flash, you know, like I, as I talked about in, uh, you know, the Hip Hop Evolution uh, documentary, is like a mad scientist on the turntables. The way he thinks about uh, records uh, and spinning on the turntables and stuff like that, 
it's more like science and formulas than it is anything. You know, Just Blaze is more like, there's like a, a little bit of a science to it, but it seemed like there's a way more of a feel or a flavor to the type of music um, that he listened to and then how he, you know, how he meshes and melds it together with, with other projects or other, other records. Um, but nonetheless, um, definitely gained a newfound respect for him. Always had respect for Rhapsody. Loved her to death. Wasn't too too big of a fan of A Boogie with the hoodie. Um, Nas, everybody knows about Nas. You know what I'm saying? Um, oldie but goodie. You know, Davies, I kind of, you know, I got a pretty talented guy. Um, I ain't much for his production, though. Um, I ain't never been huge on his beats, but lyrically, he's pretty sound. Um, and kind of learned about his past, you know, his background, which is pretty interesting. Um, so, so, so all that to say, once again, that, you know, Rapture is a great documentary that real, a series of documentaries that really, uh, I think it brings a lot of depth, uh, uh, to these characters that we are used to listening to over, you know, over our, our, um, iPods or, you know, iPads or whatever be the case and, and on the radio really brings some depth, depth behind the character, who they are, how they came to be. And, uh, in some ways can really, um, maybe even turn you on to some of these artists. Um, so I hope you guys have found some type of, uh, 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 uh use for those, you know, from uh, those recommendations that I've given to you. Um, I'm get I'm gonna get up out of here and let you guys go. I've talked to air off long enough, but once again, you know, I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. I really appreciate you guys continuing to listen to me, uh, pass the word out about the podcast to your friends and your family. Um, as I always say, if you have any comments, questions, critiques, anything you want to ask me, you want to be a guest on the show, you have any sort of idea, please hit me up at chilltimepod at gmail.com. Um, as always, too, I try to promote the podcast a little bit, you know, on the podcast Instagram account, which is Chill Time Pod. Um, and shout out to my cousin Kenny one more time. Um, I know I talked about him in the last episode that I actually did an interview with him, but uh, I just got emails um, not too long ago uh, from people telling me how much they love that new intro that he put together and produced for me. So if you guys are looking for any other podcasters out there or anybody, you know, looking out for a, a music producer, um, you guys got to, you know, let me know. Email me. I'll set you in contact with my cousin, any Kenny, you know, Kenneth Moore, um, my older cousin. Love him to death. Um, he's a great guy. Great to work with. Um, so with that being said, I appreciate you guys taking the time out of the, your, your morning, your afternoon and your, you know, and or your evening. And I hope to uh, to to capture your ear again on the next episode. All right. I'm going to holler at y'all.